I have given four talks now about the Brahma Viharas and some instructions on how to do them, some of the uh, experiences of them, what they imply, the emotional side of them. As a wrap-up to them, I want to talk about the benefits of practicing these Brahma Viharas. There is one sutta by the Buddha called the 11 benefits of loving kindness. And the benefits of loving kindness, though, also um, pretty well apply to the other Brahma Viharas of compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So any of these that are practiced and cultivated, uh, you can expect these benefits. And perhaps it's one way of judging whether your practice is going well, whether you really are developing these Brahma Viharas uh, enough and deep, deeply enough uh, to provide these benefits. This is a short sutta and uh, the preliminary to it is quite remarkable in that it repeats itself a lot. Or let's say it uses synonyms to emphasize something. So these, this preamble is, uh, and he's talking to the monks here, uh, the monks and nuns of the time are developing the Brahma Viharas, Metta and uh, all of the others. And so you should not also consider that the monks are simply practicing for Nibbana, that they're doing <clears throat> pure uh, insight meditation. Uh, they're cultivating also the emotional uh, developments and it's a very important part of the Buddha's teachings. We won't want to just pass over that. So here's he is addressing the monks and he says, there are 11 benefits from loving kindness that arise from the emancipation of the heart. If repeated, developed, made much of, made a habit of, made a basis of, experienced, practiced, well started, these 11 benefits are expected. Now, that's a lot of repetition, isn't it? <clears throat> you would have thought that you could have said, if this is well-practiced, these benefits are expected. But this really gives you a clue to just how much you're going to live in these emotions. This is not a hobby. This is a full commitment. You are going to get married to this. And it's a 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week kind of immersion right into your sleeping states as well. Uh, so this is, rep you've got to repeat this often, you've got to deepen it. <clears throat> you've well practiced is one of the terms and that means that this has to be done skillfully as well. I gave you some imaginative exercises in the other talks to help you develop these things. Remember not to just stay with dry formulas saying, may I be well, may all beings be well. These are, that's just words. You've got to find the music of it and you've got to use images and words and memories. Whatever produces the initial experience 
the beginning of this. And once you produce the initial experience of this, you need to um, develop it <clears throat> and sustain it. You should see if you can dwell in this for an entire day. You would start first thing in the morning the moment you woke up. And before you even got out of bed, try to get these things started and processing. I mean, actually, it's a very good time to do this. Uh, the, for some people, the morning is a hard time. You're, you're half asleep. You have to face the day. Um, and so it is a very kindly thing to yourself to develop and cultivate these things as something that arrives first thing in the morning, just like a bird that flies in and sits on your chest. And so this is um, a, a, an entire immersion experience. It is a lifetime immersion experience. So I can't overemphasize how substantial the immersion is. So here are some of the benefits which are expected. One sleeps well. If that was the only benefit, I don't know how many of you have not been able to sleep, have um, difficulties going to sleep or staying asleep or getting enough rest, but it's one torture. To have a good night's sleep is a profound blessing. It's restorative. It is um, the side effect of loving kindness. One sleeps well, one wakes up well. So you can expect to, why would you wake up well? You're refreshed. You actually slept well. And when you wake up well, <clears throat> you need to continue that experience of waking up well and to consciously return to this experience of cultivation of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, or equanimity. Equanimity also may yield all of these benefits. One does not have nightmares. So these are the three aspects of sleep. So if you're trying to remember this, think the first three are to do with sleep. First of all, the unconsciousness of sleep and the restoration of sleep and the revitalization which comes from sleep. And then thirdly, the contents of dreams. Now this is so important. When you steep yourself in these positive emotions, you will find that they resolve all kinds of fears and strangeness and disharmony of the mind. Dreams can be fragmented, they can be confusing, they can be troubling, they can be fearful, and it has something to do with your waking mind as well. <laughs> Dreams are not separate from your waking mind. So uh, we're not so much interested in analyzing dreams, we're interested in changing the contents of them by conscious effort in, the, in your waking moments. So the practice of loving-kindness should go deep enough that it gets right to the unconscious and the dream mind and transforms the dreams. One becomes affectionate to human beings I don't know, is that news to anybody? <laughs> that a person full of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, or well-balanced well with equanimity, 
why would they not become affectionate to human beings? They, other humans, even dogs and cats, they like that. They appreciate that characteristic. Somebody goes into a maximum security prison who is full of goodwill and kindness, even in there they will <clears throat> not experience the kind of violence that perhaps the people who have to work there and who are not in that kind of mode um, will. So all beings respond to that to some degree. One becomes affectionate to non-human beings. This uh, means uh, the invisible realm, the, the devas, but it also means the animals. They're non-human beings. So, of course, if you've ever had a dog or a cat or any animal, well, you can see people who have transmit that in, this, in the tone of their voice, in, their, in the way they move. Uh, the animals are extremely tuned to whether somebody is aggressive or possibly um, friendly, and um, they will appreciate that. The deities protect one. Now here we go into the Buddhist cosmology, <clears throat> and this is where if you've been practicing in the um, sort of psychological Buddhist community, which is strictly um, more therapy and doesn't like to talk about things like this very much, the Buddhist, the, the real Buddhist teaching is, has a cosmology which has a heaven and deities in the heavens. These are called devas. And the devas um, are protective of one who cultivates loving kindness. You will have to explore this on your own. This is an intuitive matter. It, it's not known to modern culture. They don't understand this. You won't hear it in psychology classes. <laughs> They will forget to mention your relationship to the deities. <laughs> Neither fire nor weapons nor poisons harm one. Now that's an interesting thing. And my own take on this is that fire, weapons, and poison are not, is not meant literally. Loving kindness is strangely protective, but probably not literally of weapons and poisons and fire. But greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, you are absolutely protected from greed, hatred, and delusion. The greed, hatred, and delusion of others does not affect you. You, you experience anger as cool. You, you do not experience the weapons of anger and the poisons of greed and delusion. Because loving-kindness is and all the Brahma Viharas are sanity themselves. The best thoughts that you will ever have will be with a heart of loving kindness. Don't ever try to compose your thoughts with, through your mind, through the intellect. Well-ordered thoughts are always composed and in the background is harmonious emotions. And so you start with loving kindness and then you will see that the thoughts and the words will follow. <clears throat> One's mind is easily calmed, so here's your relationship to the other forms of meditation. This is the way to start. If you can't get a hold of breath meditation, try going to loving kindness until you can calm your mind. One's countenance is serene. The face itself is has thousands of tiny little muscles and so forth that 
respond to the emotion of loving kindness. And anybody who's sensitive to these micro expressions can see loving kindness shining out of your face. One dies without confusion. That's so important. Fear is absent when love is present. So stay with loving kindness. Don't wait for the last day to develop it. Develop it as early as you can in your life. And then it'll be there in the extreme moments of death and death will not be confusing or fearful. Beyond that, if one fails to attain Nibbana, one is reborn in the highest heavens. So this is the consolation prize of loving kindness is that if you don't make it into Nibbana, and let's say that it's not a common attainment, it's a rare attainment these days, but the consolation prize with loving kindness is that it uh, arrives arrives in a place which is without distress, is beautiful, easeful, is the highest uh, of the emotions. So these benefits are all applicable to metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And it's a beautiful list um, you can uh, try to memorize it and go over it and examine it yourself and, and to help you with the motivation for developing these uh, beautiful and sublime emotions.